Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike along with Luke Acre. I am here. How you doing, Luke? I'm doing pretty good. I just found out that I always count down my videos three, two, one, and Josh always thought it was really weird, but was never <laughs> brave enough to tell me. I don't think it's that weird to to count down. It's like not three, weird at all. I was just saying I was watching news bloopers on YouTube and I see like all the newscasters are counting down. I was like, oh, that makes you know what? It was probably one of that. the one of you guys, Ariel, that gave it to me. I'm just going to toss the blame over there. It's probably one of you guys, maybe Mark. Yeah, leave it like to that. the video producer yeah. to just <laughs> <laughs> it's their fault. It's their fault. <laughs> We've got a great interview today. Uh, the person that we're that we'll introduce here just a minute after the intro. Uh, actually got to work as a student manager under Bob Knight, yeah, the crazy. famous you know NCAA Olympic crazy. coach and everything. Uh, so he's got some great stories to yeah. tell as long as well as uh, just some insight and input into yep. really kind of how to grow a business that's going to be sustainable, provide value to clients, yep. and ultimately bring that return back into Yeah, your I mean, we get into the stuff like omni-channel. We get into stuff about being excellent, consistency. It's a really, really good interview. But before we introduce him, we'd love it if you take a minute to subscribe to Stay Paid on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're not already subscribed. If you're not, come on. <laughs> what are you? And while you're there. Yeah, just come on. <laughs> just come on. Drop us a review to let us know how we're doing and we will read it on the show. Speaking of which, this week's featured review comes from The Stories We Wish to Tell via Apple Podcasts. A very poetic name. The Stories We Wish to Tell says, just what I was looking for. They rate it five stars. I'm so glad I finally started listening to Stay Paid. It has been coming across my radar for a while. And while I've always been interested in the work that they do, I've only recently started listening to the podcast. The show is full of so much value. Definitely check this show out. That is so nice. Love it. Thank you. The stories we wish to tell via Apple Podcasts. If you want to leave us a review, like I said, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts to do it, and we will read that on the show. And now let's get into this week's interview. From Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Stake, and Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. Welcome in Mike McLaughlin to the podcast. He's an author, industry-renowned speaker, and expert in growth strategies for financial professionals of all levels and business models. As executive vice president of retirement for Ash Brokerage, Mike leads 65 direct reports who have grown a business line 300% in the Ooh. last six years. Mike has been featured in multiple industry articles, including Forbes, and has written three books, including the Amazon bestseller, Free Throws for Financial Professionals. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, Mike, we're excited to have you on the show to pick your brain and your wealth of knowledge. Would love to start with you kind of just sharing a little bit about your journey, how you got into the financial services arena and what you're doing today. So, and then also this concept, I mean, you've written three books. So what led you to even write these three books? So if you could take a little bit of time and share kind of your 30,000 foot view of how you got to where you're at. Sure. Well, my father um, was an executive and in the insurance industry. Uh, my brother, who is four years older than me, uh, started out in the banking industry. And so as I graduated college, it made a lot of sense to, uh, uh, to be in the banking financial sector. Now, at that point in time, in the late 80s, early 90s, the banking industry was going through some significant deregulation, interstate banking and things like that. And it began to sell a lot of insurance products, whether just credit insurance, but also annuities. So for every $100,000 of premium I sold, 
um, through the bank, I got a $250 bonus. And I knew immediately that someone was keeping money from me. And so that's when I went out and started building my own insurance agency, uh, started in a career uh, development uh, agency, and then found some wholesaling, uh, went through a national organization, uh, went through their uh, management program, and um, uh, left to come back to a small BGA and now I work for one of the largest uh, BGAs, which is a brokerage general agency. That is where uh, an advisor would go to a brokerage general agency to find solutions like annuities, life insurance, disability, and linked benefits to help secure the financial future of, uh, of clients. So that's kind of my 30-year uh, uh, glide path uh, through the financial services industry. And what led you to writing like the books? What led you on that, that journey? Yeah, so they started out as blogs. So I was challenged when I joined Ash about eight years ago uh, to be uh, more out front, which I wasn't completely comfortable with. And so the safe environment was just to write and just write a blog. And so after we had sufficient uh, blogs, we kind of cobbled that together and started putting those together as books. But I really felt like after I got comfortable with that, I've always had this uh, passion uh, of taking my experience as a student basketball manager with the legendary coach Bob Knight. And there were so many life lessons that I learned during those four years and that I've utilized to be successful in my business career. And, and I just felt that there needed to be a different story told about Coach Knight than what's out there in the media for me, he was the absolute best professor that I had at Indiana University, mm. which is saying a lot because the undergraduate school is in the top 5% of undergraduate schools in the mid 80s. And so I narrowed down all the different stories, uh, good stories. I always tell people the stories that you really want to hear at the bottom of the second bottle of wine, right? So um, the, the, the best stories that had the most impact on my business career, I put down into 10 different ideas. And that's what Free Throws for Financial Professionals is all about. Uh, total revenue of that book goes to a scholarship fund that my wife and I have set up at Lawrence North High School, where I graduated from high school. That's awesome. And we, we fund a, a full tuition scholarship for a student manager of any sport, male or female, uh, as long as they've been a varsity student manager for two years, have a minimum a, a GPA and get a recommendation letter from their coach that they were there for practice and games and, and, and performed well. And every May, uh, we're uh, so thrilled to go down to Indianapolis and give away a scholarship. Um, so, uh, so it's kind of a, um, a, a work of love for us as well. I love that. That's awesome. Can you talk about some of the principles that are included in that book? You talk about this idea of long-term business success, which of course is what everyone's kind of going for from the standpoint of living that life of freedom, right? Kind of setting up some long-term uh, success. What are some of those principles you talk about there? Yeah, you know, they're very closely aligned with uh, The Go-Giver of Bob Berg and John David Mann's um, best-selling book and, and things about bringing value to the table. And there are different elements of value. One is, is, is excellence and also that of consistency. One of my favorite stories in the book is um, my love for numbers began showing 
as a student basketball manager early on, I would try to run up and uh, keep stats. And keeping stats at Indiana was a very complex deal. It took three student managers to keep stats. Um, we had the normal um, free field goals made, field goals missed, uh, you know, steals, assists, and the slash marks that you would be accustomed to. But we also kept a running total of uh, Steve Alford, uh, 15-foot jump shot, left wing assist, Joe Hillman, uh, kind of like CBS Sports Line today. Wow. That was me uh, 30 years ago, essentially, right? Um, and we had somebody there to kind of read off as we were writing because you were like Ebenezer Scrooge, just, just writing everything down. Well, we kept those stats for every defensive and offensive set that we tried, uh, whether it was box and one, two, three zone, three, two, uh, two zone, all the way through every defense and all of our setups. Every night we would deliver a packet of stats about an inch thick. And then we would also send a manager upstairs. And on top of that paper was a videotape of the entire practice. Hmm. Coach would look at that practice, um, that two-hour practice again before he left for dinner. He would take a look and say, okay, where do we get four consecutive layups as an example? And then he would go to the film and say, why? Why were we doing that? And then he would show that tape the next day. It's that understanding of the business that is so critical. You know, I tell people that um, uh, in, the, in, in the, the, the day before, actually, the, the night of the national championship game, uh, I prepared the bench. I came back in. I'm nervous as all get out. I walk into the locker room. It's a, it's a football locker room because we were playing in the Superdome. In the back of that locker room is Coach Knight. He's on the training table. He has that famous red sweater tucked up as a pillow with perfect military precision. And he's taking a quick nap because he's completely comfortable. He's had every stat from October the 15th through April the 2nd. He knows exactly how his team is going to react mm -hmm. to whatever is thrown his way. And so people say that he's a genius of basketball. I just think that he knows his business better than anybody else. For me, that's huge success for long-term success in any industry. You have to know your sales funnel. You have to know that this catalog generates X amount of referrals. And so you're going to need uh, Y number of, of, of catalogs. You're going to have to send out this many emails in today's digital world. You have to know your numbers and conversion. And you're going to have to know how your customers are likely going to react to different things. For me, I've always been keenly interested in the numbers and the stats but especially in the financial services field, you can't lose sight of the human elephant ele element. So there's always a little bit of a balance there. But for me, that's why I'm such a numbers guy. It's that really disciplined um, activity that we did at Indiana Basketball. Now, it makes so much sense. I mean, I think for most entrepreneurs and business people, the discipline of tracking your numbers is where people fall down. It's like everybody wants to have the numbers, but it takes a lot of discipline to track how many calls that you've made, what you actually, to stick to the script even and say the same thing over and over again so you can actually get some numbers on those calls. Whatever it is that you're doing from a strategic standpoint to track your numbers takes a discipline. But what I love that you're saying, and I don't know if people picked up on this or not, but I want to point it out is, you know, Coach Knight is taking a nap 
before one of the biggest games, right, of his career, he's taking a nap because his comfort level is at a, is at a place where he feels he can take a nap. And, and that only comes, comfort comes from preparation, right? When you're nervous before you go out and speak on a stage, you know, there's some natural nerves that happen if you're not used to speaking on stage. But if you have authority on a subject matter, like I remember this when I used to play music that really stood out to me when my professor or teacher, however you say it, um, would teach me piano. And they basically said, you want to practice because when you get out on stage, your muscle memory is going to take over because your nerves are going to get to you. But if you've practiced enough, your muscle memory is going to take over and you're just naturally going to be playing and almost in a way not even realizing what you're doing. The same applies to if you know your business in and out, you can have a confidence in what you're doing. And I think a big problem for entrepreneurs is they feel like they're on a hamster wheel when they wake up because they feel like, oh, what's going to happen to me today? What's going to pull me in this direction or that direction? And they don't have a firm grasp on, here's my playbook that I'm going to run based upon my past successes and my past failures. Here's the playbook that I'm going to run to actually execute. So I'm curious just on this whole principle, when you work with advisors, right, and you're trying to help them implement this, what are the big blockers of why you're seeing, because it seems very simplistic on one end, like, yes, track your numbers, know your business. What's the blocker for that keeps people from doing it? Well, let me back up there first because you hit the key word there. It's confidence. And, and so many times there's a there's a really thin line between cockiness and, and confidence. And, and when you know how to run your business, it's confidence. And that really helps when you're selling that large house, when you're selling that large piece of equipment, when you're asking for that million dollar ticket you've got confidence and that just exudes over to your, to your customer as well. I think the big blocker uh, is just willingness to do it. As salespeople, we tend to be extroverts. We tend to like just want to get to the end goal to the sale, but we don't get down into the weeds. And it's never been easier to, to let the weeds do the stuff for themselves. You know, you do a CRM, you, you document things, you can calculate all those numbers, you can get all kinds of conversion ratios really easily. You know, back in 1980 and 1990, you were using slash marks, right? And then having to do all kinds of different spreadsheets as, as Excel and Windows and all <laughs> that kind of stuff. Now there are programs to do it. So there's really no excuse other than time and effort and a little bit of discipline. I am a huge believer in my business coach bust my chops all the time about this, about time blocking. Mm. You just have to set aside 30 minutes the first part of the day. What do I need to do? You know, or 30 minutes at the end of the day. What did I log? What do I need to log? And then you take a look periodically at what are my conversion rates. Then you have those benchmarks of saying, you know what, this really did work. You know, I got 35 referrals off of this catalog. Like, why don't I invest more money into that? And then it becomes an investment versus an expense. Because if you know some outcome, it's an, it's an investment. If you don't know what the outcome is, it's probably just going to be an expense. Mm, that is such it. a golden nugget. I've never heard it phrased that way. No. That, is, that is really good. And the time blocking, I just want to point out one of the things that I'm practicing right now is, I guess, the eat the frog mentality, which is Mm -hmm. do the hardest thing in the morning. Because a lot of times, like, we like to think that we're always going to be focused. We're always going to have a great day. But 
most of us know that somewhere throughout the day, we get off track and we end up at night going, man, what happened today? What did I accomplish? But if you eat the frog in the morning, you do the hardest task first, whether that's making your phone calls, whatever it is, then at least if you got off track, you know you accomplished the hardest thing for your business that moves the needle forward. Yeah. Yeah. I always talk to my staff also. I'm a big believer in biorhythms and just natural energy. You know, for me, I'm up at 4.30. I'm running early. Uh, I'm kind of like you. I want to get my worst task out of the way like by 8.01 so that I can do the productive stuff of the day. But some other people are exactly opposite of me. So I don't mandate that call scheduling that way. If your strength and your energy level is after lunch, man, do your toughest task and your most high generating revenue task around that time. You want to dedicate your best time to your best revenue activities. Love that. Speaking of some of those activities, uh, before we got on the podcast, we were talking about this idea of providing value to clients. Can you explain a little bit about the benefits of that that you've seen from your advisors and then what you're coaching people on doing? What kind of value can they be providing? Well, I think value can come in a lot of different ways depending upon your target market. Uh, we are story brand, brand certified guides as well as uh, go-giver uh, coaches. And, and really delivering value is all about the excellence that I spoke about, the consistency of delivering that um, showing some appreciation, showing some empathy, um, and then just, you know, making sure that that is delivered across all channels. That can be done individually. That can be done um, uh, through digitization. Now, uh, that's, that's what's nice is, is value can be delivered in so many ways. And today, especially as we come out of a global pandemic, um, I'll give you a good example. I, you know, our viewership of uh, recorded videos went up substantially when the, uh, when the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. Anecdotally, what we found is that you have mom and dad working all day at the same kitchen table because they weren't set up for anything. Kids are running around doing homework. The dogs are going crazy because people are in the house all day, Right. And then they would settle back then and they would watch the webinar um, in the evening with a glass of wine. And we just had to be able to be in different places at different times. And video technology, all kinds of different Facebook advertising that we've done. It's just delivering that same value, but you just have to think about it in a different channel and multi-channels as opposed to one channel being you face-to-face. Is it all educational content? All the educational video content? Yeah, uh, we do some, well, I would say probably about 90% educational content. Some of it's motivational content when we're talking about financial services to financial services. Uh, I tend to do a little bit more uh, motivational type of uh, stuff about, you know, just how to build a business and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, we, we try to be, our CEO always challenges us uh, to say, Think about being a technology and an education company that happens to distribute financial services. And so that's where we've kind of taken on that educational edge of just how do we do things different? You know, it's, it's, it's really imperative that all Americans and their advisors behave and act and think differently about retirement today than they did just 10 years ago, mm-hmm. because the game has changed. Uh, game has changed with the financial crisis, with the pandemic, 
uh, with with more monetary and fiscal policy than ever before from the federal government, uh, which not a political statement, an economic statement there. It's duly needed, but that also means a huge tax increase down the road uh, and in huge inflationary practices. Um, so you just got to think differently than what we have the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah, I love uh, one of the things that you're touching on, and I think from a marketing standpoint is critical for everybody to grasp, is this idea of a multi-channel and this idea of being where your clients are. And Josh and I have kind of always put it into the word frequency, that just like a radio station has different frequency levels, and you might enjoy country one day, you might want to listen to a little bit of hip-hop. I don't know how many people go from country to hip hop. I do. But, you know, you depending on what mood you're in, you want to tune into a different frequency, right? And I think where a lot of us fall flat, and I think it was driven, if I look at it, I think the reason why our marketing is so one-dimensional and one-channel-based is because technology wasn't at a point where it was easy to do multiple channels and for you to be on multiple frequency levels. Mm. Now, technology has made it. There's no excuse for you in your business, whether you're an advisor, real estate agent, insurance agent, where you shouldn't be on a myriad of different frequencies. And what I try to encourage people is like, hey, you should be video content. You should be on social media. You should be in an email inbox. You should be on their coffee table if you can be on their coffee table all these frequencies because you're going to hit people at different points where they want to hear that. Maybe it's a podcast, right? Because some of us, some people listen to our podcast. I was listening. Some some people. Some people, we think. (laughs) We think there's people out there listening. Whoever you are, we thank you. But here's the thing. I was listening today, and this I think this drives the point home. I was listening to a podcast with Ed Milet, and he was interviewing a guy that's basically really popular in producing TV shows, ad agencies. And one of the things that they were talking about was Ed Milet is about is doing a pilot for a TV show. Mm. And he goes, this is going to be great. It's going to really build my brand. It's going to reach a lot more people and grow my audience. And the producers basically told him, hey, it's awesome, but you actually won't see any crossover. He said, they said basically wow. what they have found with like TV versus like podcasting versus is the crossover doesn't happen. It's literally people who watch TV shows, watch, watch TV, TV shows and people who listen to podcasts, listen to podcasts. And so this so idea of multi-channel mm-hmm. is so you can reach people where they're at and you really need to be applying it to your business. And the best way to do it from a content perspective is what you're laying down, Mike, which is education. How do you provide education to really draw people in? A podcast is an incredibly easy, effective, and inexpensive way to have your prospects view you as an authority. And when your prospects view you as an authority, they're in the proper mindset to buy from you. Get everything you need to start your own podcast with our free ebook, Small Business Podcasting, The Ultimate Starter's Guide. A smartphone, some headphones, and an app is all you need to begin. Go to ReminderMedia.com slash podcasting and download this free resource today. That's ReminderMedia.com slash podcasting. Take action on this today. You had mentioned this idea of thriving in this new era, this new kind of economy, this new state. I'm curious to pick your brain because there's a lot of talk out there of financial advisors and the value that they bring right? And you see this on the real estate side too, the value that a real estate agent brings with technology and the automation. And I can invest my money on Robinhood. Like I was looking at Robinhood (laughs) today for crypto, right? 
Can you speak a little bit to how an advisor or business owner should be adapting to where they don't get replaced by technology? Yeah, well, uh, I will tell you that a lot of financial services, uh, their value will really come into play when uh, if, uh, when we have a little bit of a dip and people on Robinhood uh, like you are calling them and saying, what should I do now? So that's when the real value comes out. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I think that I think that one of the things in my space uh, that I talk about is that our value is driven by accumulating wealth. There's a huge baby boomer generation. They put in money in 401ks, assets under management, you know, let's control asset allocation, that type of stuff. Well, technology uh, has allowed the consumer to do that with risk tolerance tests, things like Robinhood, Mint, you know, that becomes marginalized. In fact, uh, there was a survey by Gallup and Harris poll that today Americans only value asset allocation services at 30 to 40 basis points or 0.3 to 0.4%. Mm. Yet we're trying to charge a full point. And so in order to charge that full point, you have to add services. You have to add the client experience. You know, you have to be thoughtful about how you're bringing clients in and that repeatable process. But more importantly, I think that the future will be defined by how well you plan income. You know, hmm. we're having this huge shift. And we always talk to people about, you know, if you want a high-performing practice, you want to grow your assets under management, you want to have a pipeline of quality prospects, but you want to remain relevant in the greatest shift from the workforce to retirement that we'll ever see here in the United States. So being able to transition that big bulk of assets into a healthy stream of income that you can't outlive, that's going to be critical and that's going to be the value. We have a proprietary um, uh, income uh, planning software called Journey Guide, and it will show a client that we can make a difference by 15 to 22% in income using some of our annuity products. Now, I would make an argument that there's a pricing model there. That's how you define how much you're going to be worth to that client going forward mm. and that your services need to be off of that versus a declining asset balance. So there's a huge shift. Many advisors haven't grasped onto that, but I think that that value is going to be hugely important. And then you start thinking about all the other value generators about that repeatable process, about how do you bring people in and that repeatable process and, and, and how you monitor and keep people um, uh, up to date on all of their income plans. Those are things that make you more referable and easier to do. And again, you're, you're touching people multiple ways um, on a prospecting basis. Yeah, I think uh, what I've always been encouraging people is like, look, one of the biggest factors in anybody ever using you is the factor of trust. Like they want to feel like what they're investing in, what they're doing, they can trust it. And you play such an essential part. And I think what builds trust in the minds of like a prospect or client has so much to do with what you're talking about, this experience that you create this relationship, as you almost call it, that you would create with your prospect. And technology is just a medium of distribution. It's just a medium that it's an enhancement. It's a tool. And of course, you can go invest in crypto and, and stocks on Robinhood if you want to do that, right? But that's not what I bring to the table. 
I bring experience in, in, a, in, a, in a plan that you can trust in that's been tested and proven, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. It's almost like, you know, we call them financial advisors, right? And it really should be real estate advisors. I mean, truly what you are bringing to the industry is the advice. Like you're the advisor and what you advise upon is your experience and your expertise in that industry. But I just think the argument is flawed that advisors are going to be replaced, real estate agents are going to be replaced, because I think the human connection is not going to be replaced. Maybe if AI, maybe if we're out looking 200 years, I don't know the speed of technology, but maybe if robots get to the place where you cannot differentiate, but you're going to want that that trust in the process. That's terrifying. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, guys. I'm saying it here. I want to... I want to jump back to the sports analogies real quick because I think you have so much in, uh, such interesting background there. You talk about this idea of a next possession mindset in your book. What do you mean by that? Well, one of my uh, most memorable practices was uh, on our march to the 1987 National Championship. Our star player was a three-point specialist, Steve Alford, who's now the coach at the University of Nevada. And he took a three-point uh, shot during practice, and this one happened to miss. Like a lot of three-point shots, it bounded off the back of the rim, and so it was a long rebound. The opposing team in the scrimmage gathered up the rebound, ran to the other end of the court, and in a driving layup, Steve trailed the play and fouled him, making a three-point play on the other other end. Hmm. Coach Knight stopped the practice as only Coach Knight can stop a practice, as you can imagine. He yelled, what just happened? And Everybody's looking around like, well, Steve missed a shot. What he went on for 20 minutes in, in one of my most memorable life lessons is that he said Steve's um, shoulders probably weren't square. His hips weren't square. Maybe his elbow wasn't underneath the ball properly. And we would figure that out when we watched the film. But the real problem was, is that when Steve saw that ball go off the back of the rim, he hung his head for just a split second. Mm. He got behind the play. Mm. I would say that no matter where you are, if you're in real estate, if you're selling uh, anything, if you're in financial services in my space, that we cannot um, react. We have to respond. You know, uh, everybody's becoming a fiduciary right now. Technology is changing, all those different things. You have to get on to the next possession. You've got to get back on defense. And basketball has always been a great analogy for me in life, going back and forth. And, and, and you know, you have good momentum at some point in time. And then you think, oh, man, this is just a grind. How do I figure out how to get momentum back and those types of things? Um, that's what next possession is all about, that you can't hang your head. You've got to get back and you've got to play the game. Yeah, no, that's so good. I love the sports analogies because it's such a, I I always talk to my sales team, it's such a direct correlation uh, to building a business, entrepreneurship and sports. It's such a a connection and that idea of back and forth is so spot on. So I got to ask you, because we ask all successful people that come on the show is when you look at your life and, and the success that you've had, what are the routines that you've implemented in your life that have driven results for you? You know, when I'm at my best, I exercise on a regular basis. Um, I just ran a half marathon last weekend. I hey, uh, actually did a, a personal record at age 56. Wow. And so uh, recovery was a little tougher at age 56 <laughs> than it was at 40. I'll be honest about that. Um, but, you know, I'm into that routine. I'm living a healthier lifestyle. 
Um, you know, I've been on this health journey for about 18 months as a, as a type two diabetic, I was, um, introduced to a firm called Verta health and they like knocked me right in between the eyes because I was interviewing to get into their program. And I said, Hey, I just want to control my type two diabetes. And, and they said, well, we're not interested in controlling that. We're interested in reversing it. No one had ever said anything like that to me before and really challenged me. And so like within one week, I got off of 18 units of insulin, start to feel better. Wow. Then your discipline of the day comes into play. You know, again, morning person, get a good breakfast. I'm into the office early, earlier during the pandemic because I'm working from home. Uh, I'm getting all the things that I don't like to do out of the way. I'm answering emails, getting all that out. And then I can really focus in on my revenue generating activities. Um, you know, the phone calls, the listening to phone calls, the coaching my team, the working with our strategic accounts, and then time blocking at the end to kind of wrap up so that there's nothing left over and I can leave the day, um, especially just going two floors down um, with a clear conscience. Um, and then most importantly, I've learned, uh, uh, you know, really about recovery, making sure that we recover our body, proper sleep, um, proper stretching, all those things. And I don't care whether you're athletic or not. Those are all really important things to have a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, where we are today, our longevity is increasing by two and a half years for every decade, according to the CDC. That means that we have to have better lifestyles when we're at the ages of 80, 85, and 90, because, mm -hmm. You know, you can live longer, but you want a good quality of life. And so you've got to take care of your body. So exercise, good quality routine, time blocking, and just really focused in on recovery recently. Those are my things that I try to concentrate on on a daily basis. That's so good. Last question. What would you go back and tell younger Mike? Uh, I would tell him to pay more attention during basketball practice and actually uh, take more chances. Um, Probably, you know, you always hear about people's regretting. There are some things that I say, boy, I wish I had done differently or I wish I had invested uh, not in stocks and bonds, but in businesses and things like that. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, sometimes um, I, I was watching the uh, new show uh, Wall Street with Mark, Mark Wahlberg and he had a great line. He goes like, man, sometimes you just got to say the heck with it and jump all in and do it. Mm, I wish I had done that a couple of times before. Awesome. Yeah, Mike. So no, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing that. Before we close out, let people know how they can connect with you or find more about you. Hey, you can uh, find us on uh, LinkedIn. Also, my Twitter handle is at McGSpeaks. And then also, if you're a financial services professional, I encourage you to go to highperformingpractice.com so where you can find our podcast as well as other resources in my uh, blog, as well as other courses that they can take. All right. Love it. We'll include all of those links in the show notes of this episode as well. You can get those over at staypaidpodcast.com. And while you're there, you also get the video for this show. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, there's two ways we ask you to do that. First way is to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, along with a comment to let us know how we're doing. And the best way to help out the show is to tell a friend and share this episode on your social media. If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast.remindermedia.com. And of course, you can find us on social media. We are at Stay Paid Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, and I'm Luke Acree. What a great episode. Here's the action item I believe you can implement right away is look at your system right now and ask yourself, am I just one channel or am I multi-channel? 
And am I doing things with excellence and consistency on multiple channels so you can reach multiple people? So those multiple channels might be, maybe you start producing video content that you're not producing. Maybe you need to get on social media and start connecting with your database from that perspective. How can you add another channel? And the easiest way to do it is follow what Mike has done, which is put out educational content or motivation content and start producing that on every channel. Remember this, the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer is top producers take action. Take action on that today. 